listening to the Marta Vogt podcast, a podcast produced by Forschungsverbund Berlin, a non-university, non-profit research organization in Berlin, Germany. My name is Natalia, and in this podcast, I am talking with junior female scientists, postdocs, and doctoral students about their journey to science, their motivations, challenges, achievements, and all things around. In today's episode, I'm very honored to host a special guest, an RNA biologist, Dr. Anita Lulupi. Special because Anita Lulupi is a winner of this year's Marta Vogt Award. Marta Vogt Award is granted annually by the Forschungsverbund Berlin to an outstanding early career woman scientist active in a field covered by one of our institutes. Anita studied biology at the University of Crete and biomedical sciences at the University of Amsterdam. She has completed her PhD at the Max Planck Institute for Molecular Genetics. Currently, she works at the Berlin Institute for Molecular Systems Biology at the Max Delbruck Center for Molecular Medicine in the Helmholtz Association. There, she is involved in several different projects that revolve around post-transcriptional gene regulation. In this interview, Anita tells about the main results of her doctoral thesis and the importance of fundamental research in biology. She also reflects on her time as a doctoral student and shares how she dealt with an overwhelming workload and what lessons she learned from it. Enjoy listening. Hi, Anita. Uh, thank you for agreeing to participate in this podcast. And once more time, congratulations on winning the award of this year. Thank you very much for the invitation and uh, for giving me this opportunity to have this award. It's a great honor for me, actually. <laughs> I, I've seen your CV and uh, you started to work in the area of molecular genetics since your diploma thesis. Did I understand it correctly? Uh, yeah, more or less, um, let's say from since my diploma thesis, I focus more into the RNA biology. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the first time that I've heard about actually uh, microRNAs back then, I was really enthusiastic about it, about the whole mechanism and so forth. So that's why in my diploma thesis, I focus on the mechanism of the microRNA regulation and so forth. And what uh, triggered your interest back then in this subject? Or who? Uh, I had a professor back then, Gritan uh, Galandidis, uh, that, um, yeah, he was, let's say, he had a lecture about, again, the microRNAs and their regulation in plant development. Uh, this is uh, was his, um, uh, let's say, focus back then. And um, I was really amazed by all these cool mechanisms that the microRNAs can regulate and so forth. And uh, yeah, then I I just read about a bit more about uh, the RNA interference and and all this uh, all this mechanism. And then I just I just knew that I will continue work in the RNA field. And um, and when did the interest with the biology in general started? Was it from the school? Was it your parents, maybe? Uh... Well, no. I mean, I must say that I, I during my, my high school, let's say I had two interests in mathematics and biology. And um, in Cyprus, where I grew up uh, and I finished my high school, the, you were promoted mostly to either go to a Greek university mm -hmm. or go to a UK university. 
I was at the same time trying to prepare for the mathematics and the biology because I was keen for both mm -hmm. of them actually. And then at the last moment of, of, of my decision, let's say, because I, I, I had two positions, one in UK and one in Greece, I said, okay, I'm going to go to study biology because I, I felt like there are more things that I can do there. Mm -hmm. And of course, mathematics are everywhere and I can learn them. I, I mean, you can apply also mathematics yes, in uh, biology. Exactly. So mm -hmm. this is how more or less I, I started. And after this, you went to Netherlands, right? After your diploma thesis. Well, I, I made a small, um, let's say, practicum in Trendo first uh, mm -hmm. as a part of my Erasmus. And uh, there I, let's say, fell in love with the idea that I want to study cancer. I, I want to see like how, how cancer evolved, let's say, with us, with the humans. And I also followed a lot of lectures by different uh, professors there in the University of Trento. And I got inspired, let's say, and then I wanted to see what's the regulation, the RNA regulation in cancer. Yeah, then I, I was just looking for masters mm -hmm. in, in, in cancer, related to cancer. And then this is why I applied to the University of Amsterdam, which I don't regret at all. It's the best. I mean, I encourage everyone to go to the University of Amsterdam and do his masters because, um, yeah, it's, it's very good. And then uh, you came to Berlin. Yes. How did you choose your PhD? Did you know? Did you already knew the professor? Did you knew the institute, or you just continued the subject you you were interested in? So um, I first of all I after all this route that I had, uh -huh. and um, let's say I wanted to go somewhere where I had uh, friends first of all, because I think that you, in order to start your PhD, in order to do some research, your environment should be let's say, helpful. Mm -hmm. And Berlin was a part that I felt like, okay, I can do something cool there, but also because I have friends. And then in Berlin, you have so many good institutes. You have Max Planck, you have uh, Max Delbruck, you have Leibniz Institute. You, it's like a paradise of, of science, let's say. And I've, I mean, I, I always focus on RNA, so I was just looking for positions mm -hmm. in RNA biology. And then I saw my this art in Max Planck, mm -hmm. they were looking for a PhD that would like to study uh, London coding RNAs, but yeah, with the interaction with the mediator and so forth. But in the end, I mean, I applied for that and then, yeah, and mm -hmm. this is how it started, <laughs> more or less. And, uh, where, what were the main questions uh, or the main challenges that you addressed in your PhD work? Uh, you mean scientifically? scientifically okay, okay. Yes. Uh, so, it started with um, epitranscriptomics, basically, which is, yeah, it was a field that uh, when I started my PhD was end of 2014, beginning of 2015. I was interested to find out, okay, first of all, I had no idea that the RNA is, uh, on, on the messenger RNA uh, the, um, is methylated on the M6A, let's say. When I saw this, I was like, okay, what kind of questions can we ask there? And then together with Thomas Conrad and my ex-boss, Ulf Ulm, we started, uh, you know, looking into where, which kind of questions can we ask in this. So the first question, uh, because we were focusing mostly on the nascent RNA, meaning that the newly transcribed RNA, uh, where the information, let's say, is quite uh, dynamic, 
more or less. We wanted to see w whether the M6A is uh, deposited uh, on the nascent RNA. So we, we developed a technique and so forth, and this was quite challenging for me how to gather and, um, let's say, Im uh, improve uh, this technique so we could detect the M6A on the nascent RNA. And um, then we asked the question, does this modification affect the splicing, the RNA splicing? And, and then when we found that it affects the splicing, then we asked, okay, how could it re be regulated and so forth? I mean, there were just many, many questions that we asked and we moved step by step. Of course, I had to finish my PhD at a certain point. So, I mean, I, I, I must say, I, I really, I'm, I'm also curious to, to continue this work, but um, I mean, the point now that I need to pause a bit and, mm -hmm. and then <laughs> maybe continue. Can you maybe, uh, maybe explain shortly what epitranscript epitranscriptomics yes. is? Epitranscriptomics in general is the modifications that happen on top of the RNA. Mm -hmm. It's not written on the DNA or on the RNA. It's not like newly synthesized or something. It's the modifications that happen on the RNA level after they are being transcribed or post-transcriptionally. Mm -hmm. So basically you have M6A writers and you have M6A uh, erasers that are proteins that can deposit this modification. Mm -hmm. Basically, they can just put it on the adenosine, specifically on the nitrogen 6 position of the adenosine. And uh, it's a methylation, basically. And you can imagine that this methylation can attract um, other proteins or that are called M6A readers. Mm -hmm. And with this, it puts another layer of regulation, let's say, in, on, on the RNA level. And for me, just open and given the fact that this modification can be removed, it's so, it, it can be dynamic, let's say. And it's, this, this field is so new, like it's literally, as far as I know, okay, it, it, this modification has been found since the 70s, but in 2012, we, we just started to, to work on it because the, the technology was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are so many fields, so many questions that you can ask in not only uh, diseases, but also like basic questions. And this is what triggers me more, like basic mm -hmm. questions, like what happens in splicing, mm -hmm. what happens in translation, what like, and um, this was like a new world, a new era of the research of RNA. And yeah, I, I encourage people to, let's say, look into that, scientists, let's say, to look mm -hmm. into that. So in the beginning, you mentioned that the original interest, while, while, why you went to, for Erasmus, was that you wanted to study cancer. Mm -hmm. And then you, as I understand, you switched more to really fundamental yeah. science. You're really not so much into, into application anymore, right? Well, so, I am... Um, okay, the, the University of Amsterdam, why it's so cool is mm -hmm. because it gives you the opportunity to work in really... Uh, or two or three projects, uh, if you want. Mm -hmm. So the first research project that I was involved in was link RNAs and senescence, which is part of oncogeninous senescence, which is part of, let's say, tumor suppressive mechanism of cancer. And then uh, I got this, my second internship, let's say, in my master's, I, I was most into completely different mm -hmm. field. Uh, that there I learned about pyrenees and zebrafish. So it was really like completely different but there I 
I appreciate the fact that the research that is focused on, on basic questions mm -hmm. is necessary in order to answer questions in cancer, in mm -hmm. diabetes, in, in, virus, in virus infections, because if you, you can imagine, it's the same, me the mechanism mm -hmm. is there. So it's really like you, you have the, the same mechanism that a cell, let's say, uses to develop or to differentiate or to proliferate, the same mechanisms is applied also to, to cancer, the same or to, in a slightly different way, of course, but they use the same tools. Mm -hmm. So if we don't understand how the wild type, let's say, the, the, the basic stuff, mm -hmm. we will not be able to interpret why and how this uh, mechanism or these uh, the other questions related mm -hmm. to diseases. And um, that doesn't mean that I don't want to focus again mm -hmm. in back into cancer or something, but I felt like I want to move a step back first, mm -hmm. which is not back in, in life, but, you know, in the process of development and see. To understand it deeper. Exactly. What is the most exciting for you in your work, in, in your research work in general, not as just in your PhD? Mm -hmm. What excites you the most? My everyday life, basically. The fact that I wake up and I go and I enter the lab and it's like, what questions do we have and what questions we can answer? And we, we have colleagues that we, we, we can discuss about it. And uh, the cool thing about, I mean, let's say talking about my current work is that we communicate a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can say ideas about, um, we can discuss about our ideas and how to answer. So we are really like creating Let's say beams be created a nice environment for science. It's a very important to have good colleagues, to, to have ex inspiring colleagues and, and have an inspiring environment that basically allows you to develop your ideas. And then they have so good instruments there. They're the cutting edge technology there. So you can basically jump in and say, okay, we can answer these, these, these. And then it's for me, it's really like, oh my God. The beginning, it was really, I was super excited about everything. And then, yeah, but in the end, of course, you need to focus on something. So this is, this is something for me that I need to work on <laughs> because it gives you all these opportunities to, to, to go to. But yeah, this is, this, is, this is what excites me more is that I, I really like waking up and going there and pipetting. And then also now I'm in a computational uh, group. And one of the reasons why I entered... This group is also because I want to learn to code, to analyze more, because at my PhD, I didn't have the time to, to learn this. I did have, because um, I, I really work closely with a, a bioinformatics um, a woman that she's also a good, very good friend of mine, and without her, this PhD would never be done. Uh, she's a Vienna Adini, and she still encouraged me to move on and learn, and I really thank her for that. And... Um, Uh, yeah, so now I, I, I can ask the question knowing how I will analyze it. It's very important this, and this I've learned from her first, like to, to put your question, to, to ask your questions in a way that your output can be used for statistical analysis, for anything like artificial intelligence, whatever mm -hmm. you want. But it's really like, yeah, and it just gives me many doors. Can you remember any specific moment uh, in your PhD or maybe recently that you worked a long time and persisted on a certain problem and you had a breakthrough? 
do you can you remember some specific moment like this yes uh, it was during my phd and it was my last experiment basically last experiment that i repeated a lot of times but it was the last method that i thought about and um when it worked i was like yes i was like i cannot believe it it was amazing and actually it's the last figure of the paper and every time i see it i'm like every time also when i present um when I presented this this work also in the, the poster sessions in different conferences and so forth, I was really like, and if the rest of the figures didn't, uh, let's say, if you don't believe what I'm saying, then this figure, this figure, the last figure will convince you, convince you that the, the, the result that we had was okay. Uh, but um, yeah, that was a really nice uh, moment for me because I reached to a point where I didn't know how to answer a question because with the previous methods that I was using, it came to a nowhere. So like, I, I couldn't answer this question. And then my ex-boss back then, Uf Urum, yeah, was really like, um, one thing that he taught me was, you don't have to answer the question with the same method all the time. You know, okay, we have, we do have a lot of fundamental methods to answer your questions, but you can answer this question using another method. So just, you know, think about something, you know, that, and this just triggers me and to, to think of something else. And, and it was really, you know, the first time for me that was like, hmm, nice. <laughs> I like to ask uh, in the interviews um, also about the downsides uh, and about the down, downside moments. Yeah. And you look to me like an absolutely optimistic and positive person, but <laughs> no. did you have some moments like of, of course, frustration? Of course. I mean, uh, of course, like everyone think. I mean, I don't know if it, uh, it, it's not easy. You need to have patience. You need to have friends that support you. You need to have, I have all, I mean, I still have anxiety problems and and problems that, uh, uh, mental problems that PhD, uh, let's say, creates in a way that, yeah, it's quite stressful. It's quite stressful, the fact that you, you know, you have a time limit, you have, the fact that I, I had to finish a PhD, not only because um, I wanted to, but also uh, my, my, my boss back then had moved. Mm -hmm. So... I didn't have actual time, like I had to finish whatever I had to finish back then, it's not like. But uh, Max Planck helped me a lot, meaning that I, it, it, it supported me economically and gave me the space to finish my, my work. And if, I mean, I, I remember at the, at the end of my PhD, I was basically working in a lab alone and I had to, you know, deal with everything that a lab has to do, uh, like ordering, um, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that, you know, now that you, I mean, it's so, such a big lab, I'm like, wow. Um, so something things, that PhD actually doesn't have to do. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I, I think every PhD passes through this phase. I mean, not exactly the same, but you're so overwhelmed with the task that you need to do with the, the, the presentations that you need to give with the, and, and, and all, on all this stuff, and I think that the downside of this is that um, is, is, is that I wanted, maybe, maybe you need to, someone needs to advise you to say it's okay, you know, take a step back, 
breathe. Um, you need to, we need to have mental support in the PhD life, let's say. We need to have, um, I don't know, um, somewhere to talk to about it, to say that this is not normal. This is not the way it should be. Like, you know, you should... Uh, I was talking this with my friends, of course, um, and they were telling me, but this is, I mean, are you sure you shouldn't work so much? I mean, I was, I, I, I was working a lot. I was working more than now. Like, um, and then I was, I reached the point where I, I, I had a lot of stress and this came to also to my everyday life. So there I, I, I reached out. I reached out and I, I, I went and talked to a therapist and to, this helped me a lot to understand that PhD is not the end of the world. You know, it's like you can do it, of course, but your mental health, your your mental being is the, the first thing that you mm -hmm. need to, um, to, take care to take care of because otherwise nobody will. And is there something else? So you named friends, therapy. Uh, is there something else that help, helped you to uh, distract or to relieve the stress? Yes, I do dance, oh. dancing. I since since I was a young uh, girl, I started uh, dancing ballet, and then I continue in contemporary. And um, let's say in Berlin. My life during my PhD and now it's like I was going to, to work and then during when I was finishing I was going to dancing schools and there I was just releasing all the energy and the stress that I had. And even though I was super tired, I could dance until like, yeah. And here there's you have so many dancing schools that you can do that. I basically, I, I think I, I did two PhDs, <laughs> one in dancing and one in <laughs> biology, but it's really like... Um, Physical activities mm -hmm. help me a lot to, to release the but stress. But it's not just physical activity. What is it else in, in dancing? It's I mean. emotional. It's, it's, uh, you learn a lot uh, because I always compare dancing and with everyday life, basically, because it's something that if, let's say, you dance with someone, you need to listen and follow at mm -hmm. the same time. So basically, I learned there physically, let's say, how... A, good leader should be like a good leader should also listen like otherwise there's you are not a leader because you cannot just drag your partner everywhere mm -hmm. you want I mean this is one thing and then when you just um put into the science world let's say yes the good leader is a good listener she he or she needs to listen to the PhD to the to the group that it has and of course to be interactive to 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 be always alert I mean and for me this is a, a good a paradigm metaphor or that you can paralyze yeah i'm i follow several conscious body movement it's called it's like a, a, a movement and there i learned a lot about um, everyday life as well like how do you behave with your partner or your colleague like you don't have to force things you travel together or whatever it's like yeah, it's it's something that for me it's inspiring because uh, you just if you work all the time into science, then you are just so into it, and then you you forget you know you just need some outputs from the other other side of the world, of the yeah. world let's say, which is really not nice to say, but yes, if you are every day in the lab doing nothing but that and reading science, and then you need some other outputs, you need some other. Um, feelings emotions you need uh, yeah activities so um, an interaction with people 
It's very beautiful how you say that it's such a metaphor to other areas of life, the, the dancing, I mean. Yeah. Back to more prosaic things. <laughs> did you, after, after your PhD or during your PhD, by the end of it, did you consider to leave? Did you con ever consider to do something else? The thing is that I never considered to leave science mm -hmm. because science will be always in my life. I will always, yeah, it's what I do is what I'm, I cannot think about anything else that I can do besides dancing, but it's fine. <laughs> but um, I, I haven't considered of leaving science. I mean, it's just, but it's, it's another thing if you talk about academia though. Because in academia, you have a time limit, like you have a TikTok clock behind you saying that if you've reached four years after your PhD or whatever, then hmm, you have to maybe switch a bit to the other side of, uh, of the science, which is, which is okay, which is fine. Because I, I had the, always this question, would you like to be a group leader or whatever? would you like to do something? And for me, it's not about if I want to be a group leader or not, it's about I want to do science. And if this leads me to go to the group leading or whatever field to academia fair enough but it's not going to be my a target my target would be to answer questions and to okay. help people also to collaborate and then um, if it comes to be a group leader then it's welcome if it doesn't it's again <laughs> and just the last question um, is there any advice you would like to give to your younger self my younger oh my god yes I <laughs> so many advices. Okay, let's say one, <laughs> yes. main one. Um, I mean, I know that I would not listen, but I would say to her, don't work too much. <laughs> like, do also, other, like, enjoy other stuff that your everyday life can give you. And it's fine to work less than, than you do. And... Um, yeah, I would advise her to, to work less and also to, every time, take a step back and think about other stuff as well, like in her life. And uh, yeah, enjoy science much more. Because if you work too much and you see you work um, too much into science, then you are not enjoying it mm -hmm. so much. And uh, this, is, this is one thing that if you just, you know, open your eyes and see what also the... the science gives you and doesn't have to be always on your PhD it's just science is everywhere so yeah now I have the time to do it <laughs> that's great thank you very much it was very thank nice discussion with you this was the sixth episode of the Marta Fogt podcast with the Marta Fogt award winner of this year Dr. Anita Lolupi there are still more episodes coming in the next one I am meeting a doctoral student of the Leibniz Institute for Crystal Growth. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.